what is it, 1998? I'm like, no, look, everyone listens to podcasts still. Welcome to Translator City Radio. Uh, this is your co-host Robert with uh, Zingword.com, where translators sign up to get really great jobs. And this is your co-host Gilles, uh, English and Spanish into French translator. And uh, today uh, we're going to talk about personality types and personality tests, specifically the Myers-Briggs personality test. And today we have a special guest, uh, Richard Brooks. He's the CEO of K International, an agency based in the UK. That's k-international.com. And he'll be talking with us about ethics in the translation industry. It comes down to a, yeah, but what's the cost per word? Which then gets reflected back to the, to the freelancers, be them interpreters, designers, translators, or whatever. Now, that's wrong. But first, <laughs> we're going to recap uh, what we've been doing. So what have you been doing lately, Jill? Well, uh, you know, last time I spoke about the, um, the project I was on for the, the cruise ships, the, the, the company that was selling cruise, cruises uh, across the world. And that was a big project. And whenever you finish one of these, you always hit a bit of a slump. So my week has been a bit slow, but I've taken it as an opportunity to develop my website. I've been working on a new blog. And I've also tested out Dragon Naturally Speaking, which we'll talk about more in details a bit later. What about you, Robert? Uh, well, I'm doing pretty good. I've uh, been working on the Zingword launch. So as Zingword gets closer to launching, uh, we have to plan uh, exactly how we're going to do the launch in terms of uh, different beta testing groups uh, and then moving towards a, a more public launch and trying to decide what that will entail. And, uh, and also what, what exactly the product is going to do in the initial launch, because you have to draw the line somewhere, like you can't do everything, right? So you need to... Of course. Yeah, figure out what you're doing. So that's, that's what we've been working on. It's been going very well. Nice. That's, well, it sounds like um, you've had a busy week, though. I mean, that doesn't sound like very, like very light material. Yeah, man, there's no lull. There's no lull here, you know. But, you never uh, hit a slump, do you? <laughs> it seems that way. Uh, but I could, it wouldn't be so bad to have one, you know, <laughs> we could hit the beach or, uh, or something. That'd have be you, nice. have you enjoyed some free time though in this like lull? Yeah. Cause my wife graduated from her PhD last Friday. So we had to celebrate and we right. went out with friends and yeah, it was, we had a bit of downtime in, in, in that sense. Right. Right. Well, that's cool. Congratulations. You know, and now you guys are getting ready to move to Switzerland and Indeed. everything. Right. Yeah, it's um, it's yeah, it's a new a new page really. <laughs> Everything cool. is changing. I'm even starting to change the way I work with Dragon. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, for our first segment today, uh, we're gonna talk about the personality types, and I'm sure that it's related to Dragon and PhDs and everything because once you get started down the path, it's related to everything. So, uh, so let's first uh, describe, uh, Jill, what is the Myers-Briggs personality test? It's, um, well, you've probably seen around uh, personality tests, you know, on social medias and different, different random websites that offer a personality type test that, that tell you who you are. Uh, but these random tests, they don't tend to tell you anything about yourself. The, the Myers-Briggs personality test 
is very elaborate. It has science backing it up. It comes from Carl Jung, who I believe was a Swiss psychologist. And he had this, well, Jung always had crazy ideas about about yeah psychology in general and about people and he came up with the concept that people could be put in 16 different personality types and that's what the MBTI is has basically developed i believe it was a company in the united states who took his theory and developed it further and that's that's how the the MBTI got created and he was a protege of of uh, freud right or was it the other way around uh, i think he was the protege of freud yeah, yeah he was the protege but yeah, it's um, it's a very useful tool to learn about your tendencies. To learn, to, to, it's it's basically a very useful self-development uh, tool. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I, and you know what? I I tend to agree. I I don't know if it's, you know, if it's like super accurate for everybody. But uh, certainly when when I took it and when some of my friends took it and also my my partners took it and and you took it, it just seems like wow. At first, it's like holy cows. That's really, that really describes the way that I am. Yeah, when you read the descriptions, you're like, oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> and it gives you like a few, a few funny moments. A few, fun- you realize a lot of stuff through reading descriptions like these. I think. Indeed, indeed. So, uh, so let's go over a few of the different, a few of the different types here. Um, so starting with the letters, actually. So each each type has four letters, and That's they're right. binary. So you can either be one or the other, and it's based on preference. So most of us are a little bit of each, um, but usually we have a preference for one over the other, and that's how the type is determined, right? Exactly, yeah. Cool. So, uh, so let's just go through the letters um, just to kind of clarify how it, how it works like mechanically. So the first two letters are E and I. Um, these are particularly interesting for this conversation because I am an E and Jill is an I. So Jill, what is an I? An I is, is an introvert. It's someone who prefers to usually to work alone, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean that they don't like working in groups or being in groups in general. It's just that they, it's, it's a preference that you tend to be, to energize yourself uh, when you're alone. Indeed. And what's an E? Uh, an E is pretty much the opposite of that. So it's somebody who likes to be with other people and gets energy there. So, uh, like, you, you see people and you get charged up. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that if you spend the whole day with uh, a whole group of people that you won't get tired in the end, or does it? No, no, yeah, we were just discussing that. Yeah, totally. Um, there's limits, you know. So even a, even a very extroverted person can't spend all the time with people. Um, you know, which... Uh, now, the truth is, I'm an ambivert. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're which, cheating. <laughs> I am. You know, there is no A. There's no A A S T J. But uh, but in fact, I, I'm an ambivert, which is a, a whole other world of uh, doesn't fit into this particular test. But uh, if you looked at my bookshelf, you'd be like, that guy is an introvert. But then if you know me, you would say I was an extrovert. Fair enough. <laughs> So the next letters are S and and uh, N. N, right? So, so that's uh, sensing and intuition. Indeed, 
so we're both ends. Uh, being intuitive uh, means within the, I mean, it's not necessarily the, the general definition of intuitive. It has more of a specific meaning within the context of the test, right? But uh, I, I find would, that, yeah. That the, um, I find that the main difference between the two is that the N tends to think more about the future yeah. and the S tends to think about the present. Yeah, something like that, right? Because the S is, is taking in, it's a sensory thing, so they're taking in data and information and facts and, and working through them as they, as they move along, right? Exactly, yeah, as they come. Yeah, and the intuitive person is thinking more about the future and um, possibly imagining. What could be. Yeah, what could be, uh, in an imagination sort of context, right? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Uh, more uh, hypothetic. Hypo how do we say that? H hypothetic? <laughs> yeah, hypothetical. Hypothetical. Yes. Uh, cool. So there we have the sensing and intuitive. Now, for the listeners, you know, if you're at all interested in personality types, um, you can't guess your type. You actually have to take the test because sometimes you think you're one thing and then you're very surprised to see that, that you're another thing. Oh, uh, one thing about that, uh, the, the, um, the free test, well, the, the, the free test, this one is free as well. Uh, the, t the random test that I mentioned that you can find on social media usually have five or six questions, which is probably why they're so inaccurate and don't tell you anything from them. Uh, the, the MBTI has a free test that you can take online and it's about 100 questions. I think it's between 70 and 100. I'm not sure anymore. Yeah, there's a lot of questions in there. There's a lot of questions, so it makes it a lot more precise. Yes. But not to put off the listeners from taking so many questions, they're very short questions. Yeah, you have to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a choose one type of thing. Yes, yes. Cool. So, uh, so we have the S and the, and the N, and then we have the F and the T. Um, which stands for thinking and feeling. Which is pretty straightforward, I think. It's more like... Uh, yeah, what do you think? Uh, yeah, like particularly approaching conflict, I guess, is the way is where I, I tend to notice it the most. Like someone who's trying to deal with something will, um, that's an F, will consider how other people feel and how they can work together and and how they make a, a team or something right. like that. And someone who's a T uh, is just going to think their way through the conflict. Yeah, I'd agree with that. that. That sounds like a fair assessment of the <laughs> of the two. Yeah, uh, I guess if you're extremely T, uh, you you can be sometimes harsh with other people without realizing it because you're not sensitive enough. Um, Tend to be very blunt as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, unless you're like uh, I don't know, I'm I'm pretty far to the T side, but uh, me too. So it's hard to it's hard to. Um, uh, to imagine what it is like, well, thinking like an F, because yeah, I'm. I think I'm like eighty percent T or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, how does an F think? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, so those are those letters, and the final one is a J and a P, which is judging or perceiving. So, what's perceiving? Um, these two. I'm I'm particularly torn between them because uh, I'm basically fifty-fifty between them two. 
Mm-hmm. I always test more in favor of judge of the of the J of judging, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm told that uh, people who are more perceiving tend to be more uh, organized and no 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 that's no that's the opposite. Yes, yeah, the They're opposite. more uh, relaxed. Um, they focus more on details in general, and they are more relaxed with their stuff. So they they are more disorganized in that sense. Which doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense for them. But uh, th- for example, if you see a, a messy table or a messy work environment, the person who has it is probably a P. And the J uh, is someone who's more organized. Um, although I've heard I've heard it said that people who are judges sometimes will be um, having a messy desk, but otherwise be very organized, which is kind of weird. Apparently, people that are Js have their own areas of disorganization. Like it could be their room or it could be their bathroom or often their desk. But the important um, thing, their mind is always organized. The mind is organized <laughs> and they like things a certain way. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, so translators, we did, a, we did a study, well, a study, we did a poll on Twitter um, to find out what were the personality types of translators. And uh, they were generally introverted. I think that we had like 25 responses or something and... What was it like? Twenty-four of them were introverted. I believe that was that was the case. Yeah. Yeah, and then most of them were J's too, which was for me it was kind of surprising. But then when you think about it, maybe not. Yeah, because th- there are all natural tendencies for translators. Uh, I mean, all the stuff that that the the two the two letters described they're just natural fits. Yeah, yeah, the I and the J, and then I, you know I don't think for translators S and N and T and F. I don't know how much they matter. Um, Perhaps in, uh, depending on the, the spe- specialization fields. Yeah. See, that would be interesting. Like to be able to do a study that says, uh, okay, these are the 16 different personality types of translators and what they tend to enjoy translating. <laughs> that would be awesome, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be we awesome. hire a team of scientists and uh, let's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe some of our Twitter followers will like answer the poll, you know. But uh, like, there's so many, so many people on Twitter. Like, people, all the information gets lost, which we'll discuss later. Um, okay, so that's pretty interesting then. Um, and then our types. Uh, I'm an ENTJ, and you're an INTJ, right? Exactly. It's basically the same, just the difference uh, between the I and the E, the introversion and extroversion. So, uh, so what's an INTJ? Like, uh, as a day. They, well, they're often described as very strategic people. Um, they are people who usually design stuff. Like, uh, there, is a, there are a lot of INTJs in the, in the IT field, for example, in programming and all that sort of stuff, when you have to create something to, to come up with a concept. Uh, we are very much idea people. Uh, with, we always want to improve things. Uh, you think about what what you could do to to make something better, so you always look for improvement, which is also a natural fit for translators. And I think the the poll also showed that. Uh, I think the majority, well, the one of the, the, I think there were two types who who um, who were particularly highlighted by the poll, and I think INTJ was one of the two. Yeah, it's I guess it's not too surprising, huh? No, uh, but yeah, we, uh, that, that, that's basically 
the the shortest description I could give of the type uh, idea people um, hypothetical very we, we all we like to come up with with crazy theories and right. try to apply them to the world for example I always try to experiment with people with my friends and stuff like that uh, for example a, a, a strange idea comes to mind and I'm like ah oh, I wonder what could what would happen if I did that and then I do it and I see what happens and it's yeah it, it's a bit of a game but that's what we do. Yeah, that's fun. That's uh, and you're the only INTJ that I know. So really, huh. I think so. I mean, that I know is an INTJ, anyways. So, uh, so I'm I'm gonna take your word for it. But I think that that's <laughs> uh, no, you know, just knowing you for a while, I think you're pretty solidly just like that. <laughs> and so, what's an ENTJ like? Is it roughly the same, or um, how how do you? Yeah, how would you describe the type? Right. Well, um, an ENTJ is sort of like the chief character, so they tend to want to lead uh, efforts and endeavors. Um, they're a lot like INTJs in that they're, uh, you know, they're they're thinkers and they're intuitive people, so they can, um, you know, come up with ideas, you know, like you described for the future. And then they're they're Js, so they can. Because they have, they want things to be just so they're able to execute things. Um, but I guess the the difference is that the E makes an ENTJ want to um, go out and do I things. See. Um, that like to execute the ideas <laughs> that they have in their minds. The, yeah, that it does. That do you sense. also uh, make experiments? Uh, yeah, yeah. Also make experiments, but always with a goal. Oh yeah. You know. Like, uh, like the experiment is because I want to achieve this, you know, so I'm going to make this experiment and then if it works, it's going to, I'm going to keep repeating it and it's going to, yeah. you know, have the Organized. intended results. It makes results. sense. <laughs> <sighs> kind of, kind of. But we're also like the least popular, uh, the least popular types on, oh, really? on the internet anyways. So if there are any listeners that get really interested in the MBTI and then they like jump into the internet and start looking around, you'll discover that a lot of ENTJs, because they have a really sort of strong personality, um, are not well liked. Um, some of them can be bossy. Well. Um, unless they learn how not to be bossy. That's interesting. Uh, I've never, I, yeah, I've never actually looked, looked it up like that. I mean, the, the, you're, uh, you're on type. I didn't know there was this tendency online. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you, when you realize this, Indeed. I mean, you can realize the stuff that you do yourself without realizing it. Yeah, you know, when you have your type, you can also find some of your flaws, maybe, and and work on those, if that's your prerogative, you know. But I think there are personality types that that don't really care about the flaws, or or don't don't see them being flaws, whereas. A, you know, an ENTJ might see them as a flaw, it does. if that makes any sense. All right, so let's segue over to Richard, because uh, it's time to, to interview uh, Richard Brooks. And we're going we're gonna to start by just continuing our conversation about the, the personality types here. Cool. Okay. <laughs> well, it's nice to meet you, Rich. Yeah, you too, mate. You too. You too. And thanks for the invite. Um, this this is great. It's strange. I've been talking the last I don't know six weeks with every all well, everybody. I'm I'm exaggerating, but lots of people I've spoke to have spoke about doing a podcast. Really? And yeah, oh. ma mainly in the pub. 
right. mainly sort of translation friends and we're like yeah we should do it this would be great so yeah um, i guess this will be part of that catalyst for people to start producing content or start doing it because i think we, we've all got something to say and we're, when we're when we're chatting in the pub together but you know it's uh it's funny too because when you think about like translators in the translation industry i think a lot of us are very like audio verbal people you yeah know? yeah um so you would think there would be more podcasts you would indeed we're introverts but we really have a lot to say as you said richard <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll talk about this, but I think just, just because you're an introvert doesn't mean you sh- you've not got a voice. Exactly, yeah. You know? Um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the danger. I think the, the danger is we, 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 get, we, get lots, we get a few show-offs in the industry. You know, there aren't many who become the voice of the industry because there's nobody else doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this, honestly, guys, this is a great medium for that because I'm sitting at home having a chat with two friends, that's perfectly normal. I'm not standing up in front of 200 people. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's about as relaxed as you're going to get, and I think probably about as honest as well. So I've told everybody at work, and everyone at work's like, they, they sort of say, what is it, 1998? I'm like, no, look, everyone listens to podcasts still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had 98 listeners to our first show. That's awesome. I don't know who they were. That's but... awesome. Well, okay, well, we've got to aim for 200 on this one. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Well, you have 11,000 Twitter followers, Rich. And well, I... Let's get 11,000 listeners. That's, that's <laughs> indeed. Visiting every single one of them. Cool. All right. So uh, let's talk about the MBTI uh, and just kind of continue the conversation that we had earlier. Yeah, okay. Um, so Rich, uh, you're an ESFJ That's and right. uh, you're the CEO of K International, which is a, a brilliant translation agency out of the UK. <laughs> you're too kind, thank you. Yes. And uh, so tell us what it's like to be a, an ESFJ. Well, I'm, I guess it's quite unusual. Now, my relationship with Myers-Briggs or rather relationship with his test uh, all started when I went to university so I started my career um, 20 years ago I was a graphic designer I was a very very good graphic designer but I wanted to learn about business so 12 years ago went and did an MBA Mm -hmm. part of that the reason I chose that MBA that I did obviously there's a choice you can go to different universities I chose to go to a university called Cranfield which is in Bedfordshire Mm-hmm. It's quite close to me geographically, and they do a lot of the softer side of things. So they do, they're, they're quite famous, or they were at the time, famous for teaching about emotional intelligence and for taking you on self exploration journeys and all, all sorts of things like that, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. Partly because when I actually started work, I started to work in a factory, I started to work in manufacturing in the UK. 25 years ago, the UK had a lot of manufacturing. We used to make motor cars and we had steelworks and coal mines and all sorts. Now we don't. But back then, we used to really care about the machines. So in, in my machine, in my factory, which made uh, basically carpets for cars, mm-hmm. we, we had four machines, and we'd measure the output of these machines mm-hmm. quite precisely. These, these are fairly basic machines, but we'd, we'd still measure the output. And if one of them dipped just a tiny bit, we had engineers on call, we had mechanics on call and we'd, we'd take the machine offline and we'd work on it because it was very obvious and very important to the bottom line if one of the machines stopped performing. Right Now, 
to me, if I then go and work as, say, a graphic designer, and I've got, say, like uh, uh, 10 years ago, I had eight graphic designers working with me, the output of that unit is dependent on their well-being, in part. It's dependent on their Apple Macs performing, but the output of those guys is dependent on how they are feeling and the, the softer side of things. So there wasn't really much of that taught in terms of management. Mm-hmm. It was all about, I guess, because we've come from a manufacturing place, i.e., you know, a translator can do 2,000 words a day, a designer can do four pages an hour. It was, it was that sort of thing, and that's how that was all we do. Mm-hmm. So the reason I chose that particular qualification was it had this softer side in it. Now, Mm-hmm. My, as you said, my MBTI score, for want of a better term, is ESFJ. Mm-hmm. I was out of 40 MBA types, I was the only SF in the room. Hmm. Everybody else was driven by, as we've spoken before, driven by money and profit and all the, all the, all the really cool <laughs> stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was looking at the softer side of things, and I was actually uh, picked out of the class to use as a case study, which was really uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, yeah. I remember. Let's, let's talk about the inner workings of my psychology. Yeah, let's go, Richard, let's, the class. Well, let's talk about your parents. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could imagine from forty strange. Um, but it was it was quite unusual because the there's there's very few people have that um, score in my position. So uh, so an interesting thing about being an ESFJ is that, uh, so I was in uh, the United States recently, I was taking care of my mother, and we were at the hospital, and I was talking to the nurse, and uh, and I don't know how it came up, but you know, for the listeners out there, once you start getting into this, the next thing you know, you're talking about it all the time, right? And uh, so I'm talking about it with the nurse. I don't know why I'm talking about it with the nurse, how it came up, you know? Uh, and then she told me, oh yeah, well, you know, we did that test recently, and, uh, you know, we had to take it for business to, to improve our communication skills, but it didn't really work for us because all the nurses in, in our hospital are ESFJs. No way. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. And then I, and then I saw your type too. And I was like, hey, that's kind of interesting. But, you know, being like leading an endeavor and being a, an ESFJ, which is, uh, you know, if I think about nurses, because I'm, I'm intimately acquainted with nurses now. Yeah. Well, that doesn't sound right, but <laughs> I, I, I feel like I know nurses and, uh, you know, leading an endeavor and, and this attitude that nurses have is it's a very similar thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, if, if, if you, if you're taking care of it, you know? Yeah, it's true. You know, it's, it, sound, it sounds weird, but I'm, I'm sure it's the same with you with, with your businesses, but it's almost like your thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've got. I've got 35 guys at work, and uh, right, this is a really sad confession, but sometimes at the weekend, I like to go into the office mm-hmm. and look at the office when it's empty, because mm-hmm. it can get me a um, sort of a picture of just, just oh, it's almost like it's, it's the business without the, without the noise, without the people. Right. I, I just stand there and almost breathe and think, yeah, not that I've done it, but it's like, this is real, this is really happening. Yeah, we've, we've got thirty huh. mortgages to pay next month. Yeah, yeah. We have to get those sales in. We have to do those deals, and it's it's good. It keeps me going. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's so, interesting, and it tells you how important the people huh. are in there too. Because uh, when you're looking at your empty office, 
nothing's nothing's gonna get done you that's know? depressing yeah an empty office yeah but um it, and it, i get i guess it's 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 what and i don't do it every week perhaps perhaps once every six weeks you know i think I'll, I'll, just, I'll be driving past and think i'll just i'll just pop into work and it's just it's just a nice sort of peaceful moment i can have just just 10 minutes 15 minutes right and just think yeah this this is the this is what it's like this is what we've got to do this is you know just help get that clarity yeah yeah so do the people that work at k international are they aware that you do these uh these late night sojourns to the office no weekends please. Please don't tell them. <laughs> Please just, edit this yeah. out of the podcast, Robert. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, um, well, eleven thousand people are going to find out next week. So. Yeah, yeah, eleven thousand people. It's going to go everywhere, you know, because I'm sure everyone is going to make it this far into the podcast. Yeah, you, you know. <laughs> well, that's the, the problem. It's so you know, talk about the perception of business, but. It, um, I did a lecture at business school last, when was it? Last October, November. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about, we we're talking about capitalism. We we're talking about the possible end of capitalism. Mm-hmm. And we we're talking about the perception of business. And it was just after the Volkswagen story broke, which was mm-hmm. Volkswagen okay. were lying about their, yeah. Yeah, um, the emissions uh, testing, they yeah, faked, the, exactly. faked the compliance tests. Try, trying to sell guys in California diesel cars um, yeah. by faking the, anyway. And, um, we were, you know, examining that and examining the, the cost of the, you know, the brand erosion there, the cost that that's done to their brand, the, the sort of the pain that's going to cause their brand long term. Mm-hmm. But there's lo- on in the papers that day there were lots of stories. So there was there was that story, there was another story about somebody um, selling sweets in a hospital at twice the price because you've got no choice but to buy this. Once you're in the hospital, you're in it. Mm-hmm. So they're using price discrimination to price the sweets at yeah twice yeah. the price. Uh, there was a story about Google charging people um, uh, it, whether or not somebody had viewed their ads. So there was that, and the, you know, there, there was a couple of others. Mm-hmm. And it, it seemed like you know the, the general perception from the from the public was that business is like it's bad. It's um, mm-hmm. it's Gordon Gecko almost, you know, for Wall Street. Yeah. But you don't. I tell people you don't have to be a dick, you know. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Can can actually give a shit about people and. You know, want to be in business for other you know, money's. What, what one of my Indian friends says to me he says, money's one of the currencies of life. Mm-hmm. And it's true, isn't it? You don't. It's huh. not all about the dollars. It's not all about the money in the bank. There's, there's other ways to extract value. There's yeah. other reasons that we get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, yeah. and making money is just, uh, it's just one of those things. You know, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, it's important. Have you heard of uh, conscious capitalism? This movement thing. Yeah, I mean, well, one of my one of my economic professors called it caring capitalism, which I guess is a similar thing. Right. Um, yeah, and it's interesting, right? Because you know, what look what's happening in the world. We're in the sharing economy. We're still in recession, really. Certainly, parts of Europe. Mm-hmm. We've not got over two thousand eight yet, and we've we've got this scary thing in the UK called Brexit. So if, if we vote to leave. The EU trading bloc mm-hmm. will have a recession. Indeed, yeah. Which means parts of Europe will have a recession. So we might. And Zingward is going to get messed up too because we're. I mean, our, we're founded in London, yeah. Yeah. And oh, and uh, you know, but we're the owners of the company are from the rest of Europe and myself. So let's hmm. let's hope we stay and let's hope it just blows over as nothing. But um, so 
yeah, that's really scary. But then um, again, I I did the lecture a couple of months ago, and we spoke about um, there's an economist called Congratiaf, mm-hmm. and he said that uh, if we look at the economy on a on a long range view, so if we, if we look at the economy over two hundred years. Mm-hmm. We can see what he call what's now called congratiav waves. Mm-hmm. So the, the economy comes and goes in waves. Yeah. Now, if if we look at it in the UK, we probably have waves of about eight, like like, a, like an eight year cycle, mainly around when the government changes. But if we look at it on a broader thing in terms of world economy, we had a huge boom following World War Two, mm-hmm. and now we're starting to dip again. And it's like, what's going to get us out of this dip? Now, historically, when we go back into the history books. It's been the new technologies. Mm-hmm. So it's been things like the Industrial Revolution or the machine gun or the atom, you know, things yeah. like genuinely new <laughs> things which have come to the market and actually changed how entrepreneurs behave. Indeed. So we're in this dip at the moment and it's almost like we're waiting for this new thing. Now, whether that's going to be going to Mars or because so, it's, it's got to be something absolutely enormous, you know, yeah. uh, to, to completely power the thing. The scary thing is, if it's something like automating everything. Yeah, see, the, then, then you get uh, the opposite effect. It, it yeah, could get worse. It, yeah, yeah. Where, yeah, where are we all going to work? <laughs> yeah. So we've got this thing, this thing now where cars can all of a sudden drive themselves. Awesome. So hang on, if we were business people, we'd think, right, if we owned a, um, a logistics firm, that means ships and lorries and trucks can all drive themselves. Yeah. So we don't need truck drivers. So there's a million people in the UK employed as truck drivers and taxi drivers. Yeah. Great. Now we don't need them. So what the yeah. what on earth? Do? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's even larger than the states. It's the problem with capitalism is that you know capitalism doesn't make choices really. It doesn't ask people what they would prefer, and then choose it. I mean, the market does, right? But the market is like this. Uh, you know, so like take translation is a great example. You know, like uh, okay, maybe someday we will automate translation completely and there won't be a need for a human translator. But then it's like, wait a second, you know, why, why would we do that if there's all these people that really enjoy translating? <laughs> As yeah. a society, maybe we should automate the things that we don't like doing. Um, but in capitalism, there's no, there's no mechanism to ask or answer those questions or, or make choices in, in yeah. those regards, you know. Yeah. And there's no real benefit to anybody because it's, it would be very few companies which would benefit. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know. you know, but anyway, that's I'm sure that won't happen. So, well, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. You know, it's pretty, uh, I don't know, every nowadays people are already talking about that as if it's a foregone conclusion, you know, and now everyone's talking about are we living in a simulated world or not, which is, like, yeah, <laughs> I heard that small, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, we might be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that's interesting. So, what about the end of capitalism then? So, you were you said you were talking about the end of capitalism as well, and how how would yeah, you see that occurring? Yeah, there? so we've we've had these four waves that have happened since I think it starts in the year um, eighteen hundred. So, r- roughly the last the last uh, two hundred years has been four waves. Yeah, with a dip and a growth and a peak, you know, mm-hmm. and we we're we're starting to dip again, um, according to to the to the patterns what will happen is um 
commodity prices will drop and there'll be you know a lot of unemployment and something now what's normally happened at each in each dip there's been a world war mm-hmm. so that's that's the really scary stuff is that well, we need to have a world war to sort it out the trouble is now if we do that would then you know there'll, there'll be no planet earth there yeah yeah totally and but, i, I kind of see brexit in that light too you know like it, it would be nice to see a unified europe um it would it would yeah i love europe. yeah yeah you see that i mean going off at tangents now but well one of the arguments so we, we've we've also got different arguments in the uk and the, the you know each each politician who's leading either leave or stays using it as their own personal soapbox which is terrible but you know one benefit of you, the eu and europe is that we've had peace in europe for 70 years yeah you know it's not that long ago we're all killing each other and uh, you know now we don't we trade and that's let's keep doing that you know that's that's better that's capitalism being good i guess yeah that um, works yeah 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 but in in terms of the fifth wave then you know what what's going to happen is it going to change or is it going to completely die mm-hmm. i think capitalism is it's you know it's wild and it's feral but it's what we've got yeah and so far i guess yeah yeah i guess it's going to change again i think it needs to change again but yeah um is it going to be dramatically different well i don't think so. you know i i always think about star trek uh, when, I, when I think about like the, what's the next thing, I think about Star Trek and how how does the Federation work? You know, like what what yeah. are the rules? What is the system that they developed uh, to have the Federation? And and uh, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder like if there's not some new system that's some you know mixture of of capitalism and and socialism. Um, and that's designed using maybe like computer simulations to try and figure out in a more technological way what's the best way to govern ourselves. Um, I think about that sometimes. Maybe that could be the the next thing to do, you know, to make some new system that just blows everybody's mind, you know. Yeah, exactly. That'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. It's like that Churchill quote. I'm just looking for it. Um, is it Churchill? I can't remember. But it's something like capitalism is the worst form of economics except for all the others that we've tried <laughs> Some, something like that yeah. I, I can't exactly i can't remember if it was churchill now i've said it but. indeed yeah that's the perfect way to look at it too and yeah. uh you know and, that, and that's interesting too because uh you know to to talk about like agencies and translators i mean yeah. uh the view of a lot of translators out there you know is that the agencies are all like these greedy capitalist guys and, and a lot of them are greedy capitalist guys, you know, but that happens in every industry. And it's not like everybody is like that, you know. Yeah, you betcha. There, there are some. Um, Sorry, go on. No, I'm, I'm going to say that there are some. I can I could picture them in, in the sight of my mind. But um, yeah, not everyone is like that. I mean, um, and I guess as the industry evolves and grows up, it's going to change because it's not that long ago that we as a company didn't realize there were other companies who did what we do i.e translate and then create artwork mm-hmm. um, and I can remember going to my first conference about 10 years ago being a bit nervous but then actually meeting people who did what I did and it's it was a strange thing because none of my friends understood what I did really yeah <laughs> They thought, you know, can't you get a robot to translate with that sort of conversation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The or, or you get, you get oh, the, oh, the whole world speaks English. Why do you need to do that? It's like, no, dumbass. The whole world. 
It's, I say to people, it's only the people who talk back. It's confirmation bias again. It's the people who talk back to you when you go on holiday and shout at people. Yeah, yeah. you think everybody talks. Yeah, <laughs> duh. Um, so it was it was great to share that there's been a huge um, change from from an agency perspective in terms of sharing technology and benchmarking what we do and um, learning from each other really, which. 20 years ago wasn't really happening mm -hmm. now that, that's that's happened now because of the associations yeah from my level um now i guess i don't know much about the translator associations mm -hmm. to be fair um but you'd think that some of their remits is to obviously to educate their members but almost to get their members to learn from each other and to share yeah it's a great way to network and to meet yeah. people I've only yeah. been to one conference that uh, was given by, uh, by the EFT, uh, the nice. International Association of Professional Translators and Interpreters. Yeah. And yeah, it was awesome. Well, so many uh, translators work in relative isolation, you know, so to go, like, like Rich was saying, to go someplace and see <laughs> people that do what you do and complain about the same things. And... Yeah, it was really strange to be talking about the Oxford comma with people. And who <laughs> didn't it was weird. <laughs> It's great. You should do a podcast on the Oxford comma. That's so. That's such a big thing. Yes, and, you know, as we get better and better at podcasting, we can put together like more scripted shows, and that would be a good example of a scripted show. You know, like uh, a, re a really scripted. Yeah. Sure, we could do a whole Monty Python thing on the on the Oxford comma. I'm sure we could. Indeed. <laughs> well, so anyway, sorry. So. And now, what started to happen the last couple of years is we, because what used to happen was yeah. we'd, we'd keep these guys apart so that the agencies wouldn't talk to the translators at the conferences because it normally ended in argument. Mm -hmm. What's happened recently, last couple of years is, well, actually, last four or five years, we've started to mix them up. So we go to a conference called MemoQ Fest, mm -hmm. which is in Budapest, uh, hosted by Kilgray. Yeah. And make MemoQ server and a few other similar bits of technology. And by nature, some of the audience are guys who like technology into that. Some of the audience are guys like me, agency managers, and some of the audience is translators. So it means that not we're forced together, that's the right word, but we are socializing together and it starts to get that conversation going. Mm -hmm. So what I've been trying to do is to, when I've been presenting, is to present about my world and what drives a company to do certain things the reason being we'd want everybody to understand well okay that's why they have this behavior which i guess from the outside looks quite odd but also to think that well if they can then think of ways to create value in my business or my competitors business they can extract more of that value later on so they're worth more to that company and they can they can take more of that value out which is basically what we're trying to do to our clients so when when we pick up a large account, mm -hmm. we might start selling them translation or design or whatever. But it's about the challenge then is thinking, well, who's this account? Who are they? Who are their customers or their customers' customers or even the consumer of the product? Mm -hmm. What do they actually want? Because if you look at our industry, it's like because we're translating things that are going to be released in the future, mm -hmm. we're working on the future. So we're working on robotics and VR and mm -hmm. augmented reality and all of this already. 
we're creating the future for these companies and we're creating them billions if not trillions of dollars of value each year as as a community mm -hmm. as, a, as an industry now it pains me that we all charge the same so when i do a government tender when i do a bid or things like that in some time most of the time to be honest with you it comes down to a yeah but what's the cost per word yeah yeah which then gets reflected back to the to the freelancers be them interpreters designers translators or whatever now that's wrong and if we were say accountants or lawyers of people of equal intelligence and equal uh, qualification it doesn't tend to get it does sometimes doesn't tend to get bought like that there's different things so what we can do we can look at how say the accountancy world works and think well how do accountants bill their clients mm -hmm. what do they actually do now when we go into that world we see that they've got the same issues the same it, it, right what's great about going to conferences when you're the stranger is they'll tell you everything right you can have these conversations <laughs> right because you, you're not a competitor mm -hmm. so, so some of my best friends are now accountants which is a bit a bit odd but um we we did a very large project for a, a very large firm of accountants in london and then just just got friendly with them after we just just became friends right we don't work together at the moment but we our companies are friends which is quite a nice relationship to have yeah anyway so we go to their conferences and their partner days and so on but their issue is they're generating enormous amounts of value for people mm -hmm. but don't know how to charge so for instance they might be able to save somebody a million pounds in tax or they might be able to advise where to put your company in order to you know generate the most income from mm -hmm. that or whatever which can generate a huge amount of value yeah but how is that tied back to the now they charge per hour so they might charge yeah. you know 600 pounds an hour but yeah. they still charge per hour, so they can leave a lot of money on the table. And yeah, and the customer thinks it's like, oh well, you know, how much should I really pay for you know the accountants to type in these numbers and enter these invoices? Yeah. And they, they they tend to not see that that value. Yeah. 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 So it's up to them to change to innovate how they charge, and to think, well, if we charged on a different paradigm, as an industry, we can learn things like this and think, well innovate on that instead of just uh, oh we're eight pence a word my competitors seven pence therefore they're better it's a thing of building in that quality so i'll give you for instance some things we've done um we've we've worked with an online company who sell adverts and we've said to them yes we'll translate them but pay us a percentage of the revenue that's generated from the advert so we could have said it's 10p a word let's do it but we've said look our translation is better than everybody else's. I mean, I'm a bit biased, right? But that's what I think. Actually, um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be sat here. But, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You better, yeah. So that that means it's not a project for us that we do once and then forget about. It's it's much more of a relationship because we think that we, you know, we we've done some analysis. And we think that we can get these to rank higher. And that moment of truth when someone clicks on the ad, I believe, is down to the text that's in the ad, which is down to the translator. So my choice is I can have Mr. Cheapo do the translation, or I can have a decent, you know, expensive in quotes, uh, but a qualified translator to do the work. See? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
with someone who, mm. who understands about the consumer and thinks about what's going on. And then you're right. We can what what we're doing now. We've we've split A B tested that. So you know we can try different versions out over time. And so month one we'll try this one. Month yeah. two we'll try that. And we'll see which one converts the best. And then, mm, that makes a lot of sense. This, it's in, and it's easy to it's easy to do for ads. Yeah, you know, it is. Because it it's is. Uh, it's possible. It's just, I, I guess there's sorry. It's just that thought of how can we build in the value or the quality into the price yeah. instead of just charge the same because I think if we yeah. all charge the same people who are buying it don't really that's what they want you know they want they want us to all compete and have a nice mm -hmm. low cost because that's good for them so we all yeah. kill ourselves and offer a low cost it's silly yeah. <laughs> so and sometimes industries do it to themselves so god this is really anal that I know this but if you look at the price the price of white goods, so the price of fridges and washing machines in Europe, on average, uh -huh. drops every year. So you can now buy a decent fridge, I've just done one, a decent fridge, we bought one for work today, in the UK for about £200. If you go mm -hmm. back 20 years, it would have been £500. Yeah, major expenses. Yeah, it used like to be. For your house or whatever, it's like, house. wow. Or... Yeah, all your white goods. Mark, you used to rent them because you couldn't afford to buy them. Yeah. Now, why? who's done that? Their, their own industry... Has competed and lowered the price every year. So Siemens and Hotpoint, etc., all mm -hmm. competed time and time and time and time again. And the only person who benefits is great for the consumer, but the consumer benefits, but the industry doesn't. So it's, it's yeah, not really. zero. Mm. Thing. Unless people are buying more fridges, you know, like I'm going to have a fridge in my basement, in my garage, and in my kitchen, and, and on my deck <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, a fridge in every room. Yeah, why not? I mean, they're so much cheaper now. Maybe that's their dream. Make <laughs> yeah. a fridge ten dollars, we can have one. You can have one each, and yeah, that's the business case for that. I'm imagining that business that that presentation at the at Siemens where they're talking about how in, the, in ten years from now every every room will have a fridge. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, let's all buy shares in Siemens. Yeah, well, it, it's really like cannibalizing your own your own business right it is but it's, it's what we do ourselves so you know i'm, I'm preaching this right but I've, i played golf with my friends two three months ago he had an arabic document and he said oh we've got this arabic uh, contract to translate can you do it walking down the first fairway i'm like yes that's great he says what are you going to charge me i said 10 pence a word idiot mm. i should have worked out what he was trying to achieve with the document so that's mm -hmm. that's bad i mean it was my friend so i'll get away with it but that's yeah. bad sales right Right, we right. do it to ourselves. So all, all the industry reports, we just had all the industry reports out for, for agencies. Mm -hmm. It's the number one thing we look at. What's the price? Oh, look, Finnish is expensive. Oh, look, French is cheap. One of the, 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 thing that, the thing that my team look at, you know, what's the price? And it's like, it's not about the price, it's about the value, but fine. Well, then, but it's a numbers game then too for translators or... Uh you know, or agencies in both cases, because like to find those customers that you can really connect with and then, and then turn it into a value proposition or a quality proposition. And, you know, cause there's always going to be customers out there that just want the, the cheapest price. Right. And you can't get them off their, off their idea of getting it cheap, cheap, cheap. And I think as well, there's a buyer at every price, you know, sometimes you look at wristwatches, one of my friends bought a wristwatch, £12,000. What a waste of money, right? But it's got value to him <laughs> because it was £12,000. He loves it. Yeah. It's his life savings. 
I told him he could have bought a motorbike, but he's like, no, look at this. Congratulations. But that has got value to him because it costs so much. It's not really his life savings, right? Well, almost. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's, well, you know, it's, like, it's, maybe... It's, the... but that's, that's, that's up to him. Is it a good investment, the wristwatch? Maybe it'll increase over time. Uh, yeah, I, I hope so. But it's yeah, you know, me too. As um, as rich dad, poor dad says, it's it's a doodad. It's not, you know. Mm, yeah. You know, it's not going to put money in your bank account every year. It's going to. You're just going to be paranoid about losing it or getting mugged. But um, yeah, but maybe you really, really enjoy being paranoid about losing your watch maybe it's your favorite thing to do is like yeah it was, where's my watch yeah i love my watch <laughs> <laughs> you can't afford a television or a fridge yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah for, for that amount of money you, you, know, you could have made a house out of it. oh yeah exactly yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah i mean the, the only thing i'd say i mean i'd say to to translators or say to any freelancer really you know, we, we we need to understand about the people buying the service, but we need to understand about who. So if I'm buying the service, for instance, I've got a customer and that customer has probably got a consumer. Now, that that all put together makes a supply chain. So we need to think about, well, what does that supply chain look like and what can we do to, you know, either lower the cost somewhere or make more money somewhere else? So we've done deals where we've we've translated so we've we've translated things like ten thousand uh, uh, products. So each product has a piece of packaging that goes with it. So lots of the cost savings there is based on how we interact with the not just the regulator but with the the company who's actually physically making the packaging in Illustrator. If we can make that process as seamless as possible, they like us and price drops, price disappears. Because in the you know on on the pie chart of costs, translations are slither. Should should be half of it, hmm. but it's just it's a very thin slither. Oh yeah, yeah. So, For the total yeah. cost of developing and selling and marketing yeah. and distributing a product. Yeah, but, yeah. Like lawyers cost a fortune, you know, and, and things like that. So, um, but why do they cost so much? I've not really worked that one out yet. But it, if if we can understand more and think, you know, well, yeah, this is how we can save. Uh, the customer money, I guess, or you know, improve the consumer experience. Then, that that's a that's a much better conversation you have with a person buying the service. So we should not only be creative with words, but also with the way we charge. Yeah, yeah. So Same, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's um there's a management model. It gets used a lot now, and it gets diluted. But it's called the business model canvas. Mm-hmm. It's okay. basically nine nine different segments. Now. I like it. It's taught on a lot of MBA programs now, but I really like it because it forces you to innovate on these different segments. One of those is how do we charge the customer? Or rather, what are they willing to pay for? So we wouldn't perhaps think about, well, should we innovate things like the customer experience or uh, how we actually charge or what, you know? And it, it's, it helps you with that thought process instead of just being, being told what to charge. You can actually innovate hmm. now. Yeah. I'll give you. Let me give you a story. Without if if I name companies, just go beep. We'll, we'll beep it out later. But um, let me give you a story. I was at a conference. I can't remember which one. I think it was Lockworld two or three years ago, and I saw 
a very large uh, translation company, a very large American uh, translation localization company there. Mm-hmm. They knew we do a lot of medical German work because we do a lot, a lot of work with the British Army. So they came up to me and said, Rich, got a project for you. It's as much work as you could imagine, and it's all German medical into English. Mm-hmm. And I like the famous Han Solo quote, well, I can imagine a lot. They says, great, as much as you can take, you can do. I'm like, fantastic. Phone my sales director up, got her in contact with the guy. Mm-hmm. We were just about to do the deal, and he says, yeah, this is what we're going to pay for it. And we went, no, no, look, look, this is how it normally, you know, we'll suggest, a, we'll look at the project, we'll suggest a price. Yeah. You know, we, we might negotiate a bit, but that's the, and then, then we'll carry on. Not that you tell me what you're going to buy my service at. That's yeah. ridiculous. So we walked away. Now, they're obviously doing that a lot because that's how they do it. Now, that to me said a couple of things. One, they're really powerful in the market and they can play me off against my competitor Mm -hmm. but two they're selling projects with absolutely no idea how to fulfill them no 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 fulfillment comes after the yeah the business you made the sale oh shit we've now got to do it and then they were just walking around the conference saying you would you like now surely when they sold the project they will have gone through quite a complex procurement exercise Mm -hmm. with whoever was doing the pharmaceutical company that gave it to them and they would have promised all sorts of things. The reality of that is, you might as well just roll the dice in terms of quality. Yeah, yeah. Especially on what they, they wanted to pay. I can't remember what it was, five, six cents a word. It was like, well, hang on, we pay our guys more than that. So what are you talking about? Yeah, so yeah. We just couldn't. We couldn't get it off the off off the comedy of them telling us the price. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting, and it's now, like, uh, sorry. That was to say, if we flip that over, that gives us opportunity, because. If they're producing absolute crap, then it's not going to do what it's supposed to do. So the, the person who consumes it is going to be a joke. At yeah. best, first, it's going to do people harm. Well, and like you said, too, it's a sliver of the cost. You know? yeah. So if, if there's a way that you can propose the right, the right value combination, then you, know, you should be able to, to, to charge more because you know? yeah. they have the money to pay for it. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. Most, most businesses yeah. do. Except for some of the e-commerce businesses, like uh, I know that there's a lot of e-commerce businesses that translate like product info on their websites, and you know they have like ten thousand products or whatever, mm. and they don't always pay so well, especially no. if they're startup or if they're young or they're not Amazon. <laughs> yeah, well, there's ways around that. You could say to those guys, look, we'll, we'll translate it. It's the best. When it converts, you give us 0.1 percent of the sale. Yeah. 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 See, that's where a web you can really innovate. You know, with your how you're going to add value, and you can really connect it. Have you ever um, thought about like upstream and downstream prices in the translation industry? How do you mean? Well, um, okay. So upstream prices are like, uh, well, describing it in the translation industry would be like. The translator uh, pays their rent, um, their heating, you know, their food and stuff, and their life expenses, expect, um, expenses, and then they charge uh, a certain rate um, based on that. Gotcha. And uh, so then their rate is another step in the stream of expenses, and you're you're moving um, downstream, right? So, and then the translator charges this, and uh, and then if they use their own cat tool and they have their own savings, then that gets um, either taken off the price or not taken off the price, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, and so you move down through the through the stream of prices, but there's this thing called asynchronous. Uh, what's it called? Asynchronous stream prices. So basically, you know, like if uh, if the translator sees that uh, that the cost of their rent drops by by half, it doesn't mean that they're going to drop their translation price. Or yeah. if the agency um, saves uh, half of the work using MemoQ, using a translation memory, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're always going to pass on that savings to the customer either. And then finally, uh, it goes the other way as well. So, uh, you know, if a customer buys their translation for $100 and using that translation, they make uh, $10,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, that doesn't necessarily travel back backup either you know so like a company can use your translations and they can see a bunch of growth but the 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 prices don't travel up and down the stream really so yeah do do you know what i mean so like in this case it's like in web you can kind of make that happen because you can um you can connect the conversions to the to the pricing and and that could go all the way back to the translator again but um Maybe it's hard to do that in something else. Like I'm, I'm thinking of like technical documentation. You know, like you translate a manual, and how do you compute the the how do you extract the value from that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And what, what's the value? I mean, yeah, and these are often wrapped up into larger contracts as well. So mm-hmm. um, I'm starting to see sort of in our contracts but in, in much larger companies not not translation companies but much larger com- companies they the the contracts have an element of shared risk in them yeah but they also have an element of, of almost bonus so just as just as you'd, you'd employ a sales team or a senior team and if they hit their if they exceeded their target they'd get a bonus right and get a similar thing on contracts now as well hmm. but i've only really seen it so if you were building uh, the Olympic Stadium for Brazil, right. if you complete it early, you would get a bonus, for instance. Right. Motivate them to hopefully finish it on time. But yeah. Uh, um, but I've never seen anything in terms of our industry for that. Have uh, Have you ever seen a translator that charged uh, a bonus or tried to come up with their own little bonus structure? No, we've never really worked it out. Um, I say. say it's, it's, as we said, now now that we're having conferences where we 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 mix up technology guys, translators, and guys like me, mm-hmm. in the bar afterwards, we start to have these conversations, and we're starting to innovate around. Well, how do we pay you? We pay you per word because we thought that's what you wanted. Mm-hmm. What might be better for those guys if we pay them retainer? You know? Yeah, yeah. So I've got clients that pay me retainer, and they say, well, if we do within this uh, band of work. You get paid ten thousand pounds a month or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, some months they win, some months we win. But that's it. Levels out our cash flows. I absolutely love it, which means we can charge them less per word. Yeah, less unit cost. They love it because they can forecast. Right. And they've not got to worry about oh shit, we've got a lot of work coming through next week. Right. And yeah, so the the danger is if we mess up, we lose the contract. Yeah. And um, but it's a really worthwhile contract, so we don't mess it up. Hmm. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Translators so it, could do that too. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that would, I mean, that would go and solve, actually it would solve some of my problems. Mm-hmm. Um, if we had a case of, well, we're going to pay you, I don't know, £2,000 a month regardless, but we're going to chuck, I don't know, how work it out and many words at you. Um, because sometimes you just need the team established. 
yeah. and the team working. But th these conversations only happen when we get together. So right. we've got this problem of, you know, we all hate each other and therefore we'll never speak. And then we never innovate. And all of a sudden, somebody oh, Google and invent MT and we'll all be dead. So we need to have these conversations early on. Yeah. <laughs> to actually get talking, think well, actually, yeah, we can, you know, we can do this and save ten percent, or we can make more money, even better, much better conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How can we all make more money and yeah. all be happy? Yeah, let's make the supply chain more valuable. So, what do you think, Jill? Like, as a translator, um, you know, what what are what are your thoughts on on this conversation with agencies and how how we can all talk and and all everybody make more money and everybody be happier and everybody be more stable and everyone go on vacation and <laughs> <laughs> that'd be awesome um yeah the, the, i can see how it would be easier maybe for a, for an agency to come up with a, a creative plan uh, to to charge uh, to, to to go out of their ways to just to not only just charge um, the, the the direct client a rate but something like you suggest, suggested like a percentage of the of the sales and things mm -hmm. like that uh, th then for a translator who, or an individual translator who's basically alone and you, you you don't have the same amount of resources uh, to offer this kind of deal that doesn't mean that you can't mm -hmm. uh, because you're usually also specialized, so you also have to look into your own industry, your own specialization fields. For example, a legal translator may uh, may find a way to get closer to um, to law firms and charge them something special that a medical translator couldn't. So you also have to analyze all those aspects. Uh, it's definitely something worth thinking about because it's possible. I'm just not sure what else I could add to it because I mostly work with agencies, and mm -hmm. I don't think I could strike a deal like that with agencies, for example. No, probably not. Mm. But you know, like, uh, like I'm just thinking, like, because you said legal, and I thought, you know, I wonder what a legal translator could add to their services. Because a lot of legal translators work directly with firms, and uh, well, you know, maybe maybe they could add value by, uh, I don't know, like helping the, the customer to negotiate uh, back and forth with contracts, for example. You know, like if you're a really good translator, uh, because a lot of like legal work goes back and forth, right? So the the firm translates it and sends it out or the company does. And then the other company that's looking at the contract reads it in their own language. They make edits and those edits need to be translated back into the other language and they can go back and forth. And maybe a translator could actually be more of an interpreter translator and help them with that or something, you know, answer their questions. If if they were really really skilled at legal translations, that's that that's exactly the sort of idea that I'm probably going to edit out of the podcast afterwards. I look in, in. Yeah, okay. I think okay, as well, we, we've got to think about the almost like the crucible of these ideas. Like, where do they come from? These ideas come out of things like this. They come out of uh, pro bono work. They come out of conferences. They come out of you know, basically not doing what you're doing. And um, it's almost like leaving time in your week to actually do other things. It's sort of mm -hmm. a balance. And I, I think mm -hmm. as well, I always talk about, think about freelancers as being like, um, well, just exactly the same as a business, really. You know, I'm worried about the money coming in and the cash going out and keeping everyone happy and things like that. Well, absolutely. Yeah. you know, we, we're worried about the marketing, we're worried about the management worried about um, the measures and we're worried about well the people I guess or me you know it's like well 
you know what's going on we've got to think of all those as a balance and mm-hmm. as well let's tell this to people who are, so freelance translators or managers or whoever or project managers if their job involves sitting down all day that's really dangerous in terms of you know not doing anything sitting down we've got to get up and and get out introvert extrovert whatever we've got to get that you know the blood flowing and we've got to get talking and we've got to get moving and work doesn't happen in the office it happens outside or in your in your home it happens outside you know now i guess yeah. so mm-hmm. it goes to help a little bit but it, even that is you know there's, there's no excuse for facetime there's nothing better than actually getting face to face with people that, that that that's an excellent point mm-hmm. but the um, one, one thing i think is that many translators, if not most translators, don't work in um, don't uh, their clients aren't in the same country where they live. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure if you are suggesting going uh, to, to basically try to meet your prospective clients face to face, but I assume that's one of the of the ideas. Well, yeah, I was thinking about um, people in your peer group, just just actually having because oh. if we think well. Where where do ideas come from? Mm-hmm. Like my, my own ideas, I never get an idea behind the desk. I, I I've got to go for a run or go and play golf or go and talk to somebody in order to get that idea. Yeah. And Absolutely, so what, yeah. I, what I need to do is to make sure that my week contains elements of this, or I'll just be doing what I'm doing. Now, if I think about my yeah. my job as CEO of the company, I've got to look at today's business. I've got to think about how I can improve today's business. I've also got to prepare for tomorrow's business. So broadly speaking, I've got three jobs to do. And that's it. It's quite quite when I break it down to that, it's quite straightforward. And I think it's the same for freelancers. It'd be slightly different, but it's I think it's essentially the same. Yes, we've got to do the work to pay the rent, but we've got to improve how we're doing the work and we've got to prepare for tomorrow, whatever tomorrow is. Whether yeah, it's, it's zero or robots going to take over or whatever, but it's, <laughs> it's our week or our month or our quarter's got to contain elements of all three. So when I get my senior team together, I've got I've got headings in my my notebook about all three of these, and I'm thinking, well, okay, that's a a, a one, two, or three project that we're talking about. And we have to make sure that the team's balanced in terms of not just focus on today, which is quite easy for say salespeople to do. Mm-hmm. We've got to think about as a business how we're creating value for the future or developing something new. Um, this also goes back to what you were saying earlier about money only being one aspect of your business. I mean, it's yeah. important, of course, yeah. but it's not something that you should only focus on. No. And yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's a perfect example of that. You also yeah. need to socialize and to work on other stuff, otherwise you just go mad. Yeah. Now, I, I can never explain this to my accountant, but I'll, I will do projects in order to learn from them. My accountant thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> that's what we do. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll do, we'll do things for people and think, look, we're not going to make any money off it. They know it, but we're going to have a ball doing it. But, and I think as well, if, if we are providing something of value to somebody, whether we charge for it or not, I'm going to say relevant, but I don't mean irrelevant, but whether we charge for it or not is up to us. But what we must do is communicate the value that we created. So one thing I'm always talking to my team about is every quarter, get in front of your clients, tell them what you've done, and tell them what they've achieved given our service to keep keep them reminded of it. So, you know, mm-hmm. maybe there's something there for, for a freelance translator who's very focused on today, very focused on the work coming in today because they've got to pay the rent. But 
you know, perhaps there's a bit of communication can happen there about, well, this is what I did and this is what you achieved because I did it. Um, a bit of playing your own trumpet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen uh, some emails from translators um, in the past, and I was really impressed when, when I would receive one like that. But I think we're, for translators, I think we're talking about probably newsletters. Because I don't think if, if like all the translators that work for K International like, called you guys up, <laughs> like, yeah. hey, can I, can I yeah, talk to Rich? Go on, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After, after a while, I'll get bored. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, uh, let's wrap up the show. Um, it was awesome to have you hey, on the show today, Rich. The pleasure's all mine, dude. That was great. It was fun. Yeah, I'll come again, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the only thing that would make it better is if we were all sat in a London pub together. With a beer. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> With a beer, yeah, yeah, yeah. With a beer. Okay, you, you guys want to know a secret? <laughs> What's that? I've got oh, a beer. <laughs> You're cheating. <laughs> I've got a glass of water. I'll fail. I'll fail. Right, okay. Thanks, <laughs> I do. I, I was like, man, I'm doing the podcast. Uh, I'm going to have a beer. <laughs> it's only 12 o'clock here. I didn't want to. <laughs> Oof.